Welcome, everybody, to episode number 12 of The Hopeful Majority. Yes, we're in episode 12. I hope you're having a good day because I'm having a fantastic one. We've got a really, really exciting special edition episode for you today with a crossover podcast with Andrew Yang. Him and I are going to have a great, honest 45 minutes to an hour-long conversation about politics, about 24 elections, about President Biden, President Trump, third parties, gerrymandering, you name it. We go there. We even talk about the recent Republican Party events in Iowa. Look, the hopeful majority is not about endorsing any politicians. It's not about endorsing any ideologies. It's about having honest, truthful, open-minded conversations with people that we agree with, people we disagree with, people across the political spectrum. Because remember, the hopeful majority is defined not by an ideology, not by left or right. It's defined by mindset. I think most people in this country, like you and I, are willing to have conversations, willing to have disagreements, wanting to listen to each other. And so that's why we're going to have awesome guests like Andrew on throughout the podcast, because that's how you know the hopeful majority is building when people in power are paying attention. Andrew and I have a really amazing conversation. Remember, every week, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your content, let's get in to our conversation with Andrew Yang. Welcome to the Hopeful Majority. Yes, I am a <laughs> member of the Hopeful Majority. The people that are like, what the heck is going on? So yeah. for the people who don't know, what is Bridge USA? It's an awesome org. I've attended uh, events and, and even a national summit, um, either physically or virtually. But what is Bridge USA? Yeah, essentially, the organization was built to solve one simple need, and that is to allow and give young people the chance to have conversations with people that are different than themselves. Very profound, very easy, simple stuff. I mean, essentially, the organization has college and high school chapters across the country, and we're building a movement to elevate the next generation of young people that feel like politics is not only too crazy, but it's losing touch with our reality. And what we got to do is we got to ha start having those difficult conversations. And critically, the, the fact of our work is, I mean, you think about this all the time, is we have to be able to disagree better. We have to live in a society in which we can actually solve our problems. And I see young people all the time talking and engaging. And our job is to elevate those voices. And, and the only other thing I would say is that to anybody that listens, um, and we talk about this a lot in our podcast as well, like, you know, it's everyday people that get up and make a difference. You know, it does. I mean, you got involved in the presidential campaign out of nowhere. You know, for me, I was a pre-med student <laughs> that had zero interest in democracy until Milo Yiannopoulos showed up to UC Berkeley's campus and then everything went crazy. Yeah. And you've been doing this work already for a number of years. How many school chapters does Bridge USA have? Yeah. So we currently have 55 college chapters, 56 as of today morning and uh, 20 high school chapters. Um, and we've launched this high school program because I thought it was like, you know, it's not just that college students are polarizing. I mean, we need to start creating these spaces as soon as possible because we're having a hard time controlling the flow of information for anybody. And so if someone wants to start a chapter in their high school or college, is that a thing? Can they do that? Oh, not only can they not only can they do that, but you literally go to bridgeusa.org, start a chapter, high school, college. Any person, if you're listening to this right now, it doesn't matter where you stand in the political spectrum, but if you believe that we need to be united around a mindset, a vision, a temperament for how we engage, how we listen to each other. Again, this is not about what you think, this is about how we think. If you feel like we need to live in a society where we can have conversations, not just get along for the sake of get along, but actually have hard disagreements and solve our problems, uh, Bridge USA chapter is right for you. And I think anybody that's um, on our side that is interested in a new way of thinking about politics the forward party is something that they should look into as well. 
Oh, well, well, thank you for saying so, Manu. You were obligated to do so. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, being, I, I'm, being, I'm being held hostage. Help. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've been working on Bridge USA full time uh, as a co-founder and CEO for years. Uh, your parents are probably like, whatever happened to that med school thing? Um, what has your experience been like? What are the, the ups and the downs? Three things. And, and my mom is still recovering from my decision. Um, I don't think she ever, ever will. But we, we hope. You know, you could say to her, you know what? I'm in like pre-med for the country. <laughs> we're we're, we're going to get some freaking CPR on this, this station. I mean, we, we oftentimes say, Andrew, and you talk about this a lot, but we're essentially, if you're a liberal, we're inoculating people against conspiracy theories. And if you're a conservative, we're inoculating people against losing a sense of purpose and self. That's essentially what we're doing. I mean, there's three things that I've observed over the past couple of years, and I'm curious what you think about this. Um, but here, here's what I've broadly seen. And you know this world and this country way better than I do. I mean, you've traveled through almost every corner. I've mainly been to campuses and high schools. And we're talking about vocational schools, community colleges. We're talking about um, large state schools all across the board, private schools, et cetera. The first thing we hear when we're talking to anybody is, People are just scared. People are walking on eggshells. Nobody actually wants to have a conversation. I mean, how do you have a democracy if you can't talk to each other? It's that simple. So first, we've got to create a safety valve for people's pressure. We've got to create spaces where people can actually feel not just safe, but feel like they can productively engage. The second thing is that most people in this country, as, as you've seen and you talk about, have very similar aspirations. People want to have yep. a job. They want to live with each other. They want to They want to live in a world where their kids do better than themselves. They want to live in a society in which we feel heard. It's not that complicated. And and, and actually, as a young person, I graduated college in 2020. I'm um, four, three years out, I would say. I think three and a half. We'll see. Um, and to me, I have to ask you, like, how do we get here? Because as a, as a young person, to me, this seems crazy. It seems like the moment that we've arrived at is one which just is so profoundly confounding because the average person like you and I wants to live in this world that's pretty similar. And yet we see extreme tribalism and polarization. Yeah. Um, did your parents immigrate to this country, Manu? Yeah, they immigrated in 98. Uh, um, so recently. Wow. Uh, so my, my, <laughs> my, my parents immigrated in the 60s. Uh, I was born in the 70s. And I do remember a more generally... Uh, functional form of politics uh, and media. There was a uniformity to it that now people can regard as uh, not very representative. Um, mm -hmm. But there, there was also this zone of consensus uh, around uh, facts and decorum uh, and a way of doing things. Um, now that that stuff's all breaking down, and it's breaking down in ways big and small, uh, good and bad. Um, I, I would argue generally bad. Um, so the, the major problem is that these institutions are faltering and they're not able to rejuvenate themselves and we're not sure what the new ones are. Uh, so there are people who are starting new institutions, but that's a very, very difficult process in a lot of the most important zones of American life. Um, you do have new ones that popped up, let's call it social media networks that uh, mushroomed with uh, incredible uh, adoption and whatnot, though I would argue most of those things have been kind of bad for other institutions. <laughs> so if, if I had to draw it out for people, I jokingly say Democrats and Republicans were like vanilla versus French vanilla mm -hmm. <laughs> in, in the 70s and 80s. <laughs> like, which do you prefer? Um, and, and back then they were, 
ideologically quite similar. Uh, now they started to diverge um, in the '60s with the Civil Rights the 60s, Act yeah. when the when the South South flipped mm-hmm. from Democrat to Republican. Uh, and then you had a whole series of structural changes in the 80s. The Reagan administration got rid of the Fairness Doctrine, which meant that you didn't have to tell both sides of a particular issue. Um, before that, you did. And and so if you look at old-timey TV programs, you have two people talking to each other from <laughs> different points of view. Uh, and, and because of that, um, then you could have polarized national media, uh, Fox and MSNBC were started in the 90s after the Fairness Doctrine was repealed. Uh, Then you had Facebook come online in 2004. Uh, And simultaneously, the two major parties became more urban versus rural, educated versus non-educated, coastal versus interior. So instead of having two relatively identical-ish parties that had slightly different approaches to to various issues, now they get separated into genuine uh, tribal camps. Uh, and then the media is egging us on um, to, for the blue team or the red team. And then social media is pouring gasoline on the whole thing. And when you talk about people coming together and having discussions, Monitor, the first thing that popped into my mind was the medium, where social media is not great for having nuanced conversations. It's about uh, essentially trying to stick it to someone or pile on in a particular way. And then if you show that you're an effective tribal expressor then the team goes "Ooh, i like this tribal expressor right, <laughs> they, they, right. they pile it behind you um which is by the way the way a lot of cable news and uh works too nowadays uh so that's why things seem so crazy where you look up and, and if you log on you're like wow this this seems nuts and then if you even turn on cable tv a lot of time you're like this is nuts this seems nuts i mean heck there was no cable news uh but before the mid 90s or so Really, so th- this is a one and a half generation phenomenon. I mean, this is what's interesting about this is that you talk about um, cable news egging us on. You talk about the medium and the importance of the media. The question I have to ask you is: It seems like, um, and I mean, your case in point uh, for the opposite of this, but it seems like most leaders, most media pundits, they when you see them in person, they're very different than what they are on TV. Dude, I've been on set with, like dozens of times. They're, they're different as soon as the camera light goes on. Why is that? You're, you're like having a normal combo with them. And all you, of a sudden, I it's mean, like, end! It's <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, what's, what's odd about this is, and I mean, I can attest to this, like our, the reason why our chapter students really appreciate having you on campus, the reason why I really appreciate our conversations, I mean, the first thing, first time I ever met you, and this was after having met a lot of political leaders, I said was, like, you're the same way in a Zoom conversation as you are on TV, as you are, you know, running a presidential race or, you know, running your current uh, institution, the Forward Party. But, and you've shown that you can succeed with it. So, like, why is it, is it profit? Is it what, what drives people to, to essentially turn into to crazy, you know, robot monsters when the, when the light turns on? Now, I'm going to quote Jen Polka, uh, who said something that uh, I, I thought was so spot on. I just want to make sure I get the verbiage right. Um, so I just want the, to, to sure. give her quote, which I thought was completely accurate. When systems or organizations don't work the way you think they should, it is generally not because the people in them are stupid or evil. It is because they are operating according to structures and incentives that aren't obvious from the mm-hmm. outside. So if you look at a cable news pundit and you're like, whoa, this person seems uh, a little bit sensationalist or whatnot, uh, they're responding to minute-by-minute ratings. (laughs) Literally, if people click off during a segment, 
producers will be on in their ear almost at that moment saying, Hey, like switch to graphics or like, do something. I mean, they have earpieces in, um, and there's a lot of financial pressure. Um, there's a lot of jobs pressure in a woebegone era. You could come on, you could deliver the news just like the person at the next channel. And, you know, there are only three channels. So, you know, there, there wasn't much choice. Um, I mean, three network channels, yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. not even like three, like, you know, ca- cable, um, and that must have been the age of the dinosaurs cable mouthpiece you know it's like tom brokaw peter jennings and uh you know dan rather um and they were frankly kind of indistinguishable <laughs> as far as you could tell um there's connie chung in the mix uh love you connie uh you know so but th- th- there was a, a whole lot of uh stately decorum uh and journalism took itself very seriously in a particular way uh, but now they're in freaking death matches for ratings on a nightly basis. And they're seeing their entire space get decimated. They're seeing their colleagues canned. Uh, and, and so it's either play ball or uh, get consigned to oblivion <laughs> is, is what, what happens. And, and so on good days, I feel bad for the people uh, who are stuck in this system. Manu, uh, I'm I'm so grateful to the people who've supported me over the last number of years, because I felt relatively insulated from uh, these kinds of pressures. Um, But when I was on TV, there were proddings where it's like, Hey, we we could kind of use some energy on on this side. Uh, And, you know, if I didn't provide that energy, then maybe I wasn't as back, which again, now I'm just like, well, I don't really care if I come on your show again. (laughs) The question that I'm leading towards, I'm thinking about is what do you think you were able to do that allowed you to insulate yourself? Because, I mean, Jen's quote speaks perfectly to this, like, general, I think, theory of power that a lot of people have about Washington, D.C. and politics and institutions, which is that it's not that great. It's not that necessarily there's bad people in place. It's that the operating system of the institutions institutions is what's corrupting people almost. Right. It seems like that's what you're getting at. Well, they're, they're, I mean, they're spending 30 to 60 percent of their time dialing for dollars. Uh, right. And. Uh, that'll mess you up pretty quick. Uh, I've I've done some dialing for dollars in my life, and doing it more than half of your professional hours would be insanely soul crushing and corruptive. Do you think that when it comes to those institutions and these people and these processes, like essentially the way that I'm thinking about this is almost if the United States is a computer, uh, the problem is not the computer; it's the operating system that the computer is operating on and running yep. on. And 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 go figure trying to sell operating systems change. <laughs> oh, that's what we're doing. It's you know? good times in the U.S. of A. I mean, yep. uh, you know, I mean, right, right now I'm running around saying ranked choice voting all the time uh, because I'm convinced that ranked choice voting is the closest thing we have to a key that will unlock any of the other good things. What what is ranked choice voting? Just for people that might not know that here our stuff. Ranked choice voting is a more modern voting system that allows everyone's vote to matter. Uh, and you can cast your vote for whomever you want. And if your person doesn't win, then the, your second choice vote gets counted until someone reaches a majority of the support. So let's say it was me, Manu, and three other people are running for office. And then we all got, you know, 20%. Then in our current system, whoever, whichever one of us got 21% would win. Um, that's kind of dumb. Um, but in ranked choice voting, they would take the weakest candidate, look at their second choice votes, and then transfer their 
votes to the second choice and continue this process until one of us had 50.1%. Hmm. So that way, whoever wins genuinely had majority support. Uh, it also discourages negative campaigning because if Manu trashes me, we both look kind of bad. And then the third candidate benefits. It's been demonstrated to help women and minority candidates. Uh, so ranked choice voting, it also, by the way, gets rid of the entire spoiler effect. Because one of the things that everyone's freaked out about right now is, oh my gosh, if Joe Manchin or RFK or Cornell West runs for president, it's going to help Trump win. Uh, and if you had ranked choice voting, no problem. You could just rank Cornell West one and Joe Biden two and uh, rest easy. So it, it, it allows you to break out of the, the binary of the presidential system. Why isn't it working? Why isn't it out there? Oh, it works everywhere it's been implemented. Mm -hmm. uh, in New York, 85% of people uh, want to do it again and found it easy to use. One of the jokes I tell Manu is that even my seven-year-old can rank favorite ice creams one, right. two, three. Like, you know, it's not very <laughs> complicated. Um, so everywhere it's been installed, it's been enormously helpful, including in Alaska, where it helped get Sarah Palin out and Mary Peltola in and Lisa Murkowski back in, even though she voted to impeach Trump, because instead of having to go through just a Republican primary, which she would have certainly lost, she got to appeal to the entire general public. And then over 50 percent said, you know what, I actually am cool with Lisa Murkowski, uh, uh, even though she voted to impeach President Trump. Can I can I run a, a theory of 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 my theory of the case by you, please? OK, so I've prepped for this moment my entire life, by the way, in case the listeners are wondering. So so please grade me harshly on this one. But essentially, when you think about the people that um, voted for Mary Peltoa, for example, right, or the people that supported your campaign or the fact that there's so much cross ideological composition between Bernie supporters and Trump supporters, it, it seems like there is a broad swath of politics where the the division is no longer necessarily left right like democrat republican in the traditional sense but it it might be something more around mindset behavior around being you know anti-establishment versus establishment or being um more open-minded versus being closed-minded being more curious versus being a prisoner of your ideology do you find that do you feel like there's a there's a there's a tectonic shift in in our divides or do you think that it's still the traditional sort of diagnoses the challenge. How do you think about it? Oh, I totally agree with you that, uh, and I've sat with the rural farmer in Iowa yeah. uh, and the black mom in Harlem, and they're concerned about a lot of the same things. Uh, the, the problem right now is that they're getting separated into blue zones and red zones. And then we're meant to say like, oh, you know who's to blame? The person over there that you disagree with, like that, that's why you're mad. And Americans are looking up saying, well, shoot, I guess if that's what you're offering me as an explanation. M meanwhile, both of them are mad about the healthcare system or the education system or the fact their kids aren't going to have uh, the same kind of future that they want. Uh, and so in, in many ways, and this is what the forward party is doing and, in, and Bridge USA as well in, in its own uh, realm, is that we want to try and expose this left-right ideological spectrum as nonsense and bullshit and say, you know what, guys, you're being set up, uh, you know, maybe our mindsets are a little bit different to your point, um, or our cultures and backgrounds are a little different, but you're not my enemy. Like the enemy is the system that's turning us against each other and manipulating us and not giving any of us what we want. I was at Monticello three or four days ago, which is Thomas Jefferson's home. And I was like, man, what would he say? You know, I found a box of his hair, his hair, 
The Monticello. Did you, did you take it? And if this were a <laughs> sci-fi movie, you would then clone him, and then he'd pop up, and then he'd bring us all together. And then in this day and age, everyone would throw rocks at him, being like, "We hate you, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. <laughs> Go back to the grave where you came from." Oh man, it's a reasonable summary. <laughs> it is. It is. That's that's basically our politics. Is Thomas Jefferson rises from the dead, and then everybody just shits on him. <laughs> do you do you do you think? Uh, uh, I, I was thinking about this. Have you followed Vivek Vivek's candidacy at, at all? I think sure thing, man. Yeah, for sure. I did an interview about him uh, with the Atlantic uh, last week. Did you see the the Iowa State Fair and and yeah, him, yeah. him rapping "Lose Yourself"? Sure. <laughs> did you have to also milk? Did you also have to milk the cow the cows when you were? Did you have to go to the Iowa State Fair? I went to the Iowa State Fair twice, man, because I declared in 2018. And so then I went 2018, which was uh, not exactly a positively reinforcing experience. And then everyone was like, who the fuck are you? And I was like, I'm Andrew Yang. I'm running for president. And everyone was like, whatever. I will say it was a nice change of pace in 2019 because 2019, there were TV cameras and crowds and people knew who I was. There was actually a video somewhere. It makes me mad that this isn't out there. Of the same woman serving, uh, I think it was uh corn to me in 2018 and 2019 and 2018 she was like good luck with that and then 2019 she was like hello and like all friends it was like you know the same person just a year apart because uh you know i'd I'd been introduced to iowans uh in that time but yeah i'm a regular at the iowa state fair i mean you you basically your candidacy came out of nowhere I mean, most people in my generation are really, really have a positive view of of your personality, your persona. I mean, they might disagree on ideology here and there, but they they appreciate your vibe and your authenticity, which is pretty cool. I am. I'm so glad that that was one of the most invigorating aspects of the campaign uh, is Mm -hmm. meeting young people who'd say to me, by the way, I I get this almost every day. They say, thank you for interesting me in politics, because before you, I didn't think it was something I should pay attention to. But because of, you now, I'm actually kind of into it. And I'm sadder as a result. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, well. Here, here's where I, I'm more informed, with... but sadder, more concerned. And if you're concerned, start a Bridge USA chapter and join the Forward Party. We'll we'll try and uh, dig our way out of this mess. There you go. We're gonna have to we're gonna have to clip that. You should start a Bridge USA chapter. You should think about the Forward Party. And importantly, we all gotta get our he- we all gotta get our heads out of the sand. Okay. Here's 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 another here's another sort of thing that I've been thinking about, which is. Look, I mean, you were when I last saw you in San Francisco, you were speaking to a crowd um, in a local uh, bookstore in San Francisco, a real establishment here. And I mean, the crowd, you were riling up the crowd about systems change, about processes, about the fact that we have to think not about the issue right now, but our democracy as a whole. Some- yeah, voting harder is not going to get our way out of this mess, people. You know what I mean? Like that they, they yeah. segmented us so that our votes are already pretty much baked into the cake. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, well, the, I mean, on, the only legitimate course of action that might make a difference is if millions of Americans decided to move to swing states. If you're not talking about that, then everything else is like uh, essentially just barking at the wind. So I I think that that fundamentally assumes again our starting point, which is that most Americans are on the same page. That and maybe not ideologically, but they are on the same page in terms of wanting to live the life they do. But how do you respond to sort of the devil's advocate, the critique of that that assumption, which is that, in fact, there are deep systemic divisions that require real combat. 
Oh, there are deep systemic divisions. Uh, it's just the question is right now, is this the way to resolve them? <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I mean, it's like, am I going to just eke out this one thing that I can like stick it to you for two or four years and you're going to stick it to me in two four, or four years while the divisions get deeper and more inflamed? That's the course we're on. A- and uh, anyone who thinks that's a path to salvation, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't see it really. Um, uh, so the the question is, how can we change that dynamic so that there's a resolution? And I would use women's reproductive rights as a, a great example where, look, right now, the majority of people are not getting what we want in large part because of the system. And this includes people with ours next to their name. And so if you just d- decide, look, it's team, team, uh, you know, blue versus red, then we wind up with this deranged result that the vast majority of us don't want. Um, you should be able to look up and say, you know what? We should try and reorient the system. And then if you get that, then you can put a lot of things in for women's reproductive rights. Uh, You know, reasonable common sense, firearm regulation, uh, uh, climate change, you name it. I mean, right now we're just being set up uh, and it's disintegrating around us all the time. I I remember when I was a a freshman at UC Berkeley, this was like 2017, right after the Milo Yiannopoulos protests had happened around free speech. Afterwards, we were sitting in this classroom, right? And in this classroom, this professor starts talking about the protests. This one student gets up and starts shouting at this professor. There's like 15 students in this classroom. I mean, this was basically my introduction to politics in a nutshell. This one student start, st- stands up, starts shouting at the professor, saying, there's a bad idea. Going a little crazy. This other kid gets up, starts shouting at the student. So now the students are shouting at each other, right? There's two of them. The rest of us 13 are just sitting there completely silent. You know, me being my very, you know, uh, uh, normal, you know, Asian self, ceding authority to those in power, just just sitting back, watching these two go at it. 13 of us are saying, I'm like, this is insane. Nobody says anything. We leave the classroom. 13 of us get together. We have a conversation. I was like, did you like that? Nobody liked it. Every, everybody was not. Nobody was on the same page. Everybody felt like this was a terrible. And then I suddenly realized if one of us had given the other 12 of us the social permission to stand up and say, no, your your method of operating is wrong. It empowers the majority, what I say, the hopeful majority of people to actually do something about it. That's just, to me, that seems like our politics in a nutshell. There's one person on one side, one person on the other, and it's the tyranny of the minority in an essence. Yeah, uh, it's what we have to do is give each other permission and then build a tribe, um, whether it's Bridge USA or Forward Party, and then say, look, uh, guys, um, put the pitchforks uh, and Molotov cocktails down, please. Uh, and let's try to figure out how we can live together and maybe even advance common solutions. And I, I referred to a couple of issues uh, earlier that, you know, are dividing um, uh, the American people, though there is actually a pretty strong consensus on, on both of them. I mean, when I, I ran for president, I believe certain things. I think most people can figure out where I am on, on a lot of issues. I mean, heck, I had like 140 policy positions uh, during the presidential. But the, the main impetus for my running was that I think this economy is going to become uh, dehumanizing and punitive, and it already is. And then AI is going to come online and kick everyone to the curb. Um, I was just on the picket line with the actors and writers in Hollywood. And, you know, I mean, the, the studios are trying to scan a thousand background actors and then never hire a background actor again, which by the way, makes perfect sense for them. It's just like, I, you know what, well, what's that? I, I need a young, handsome South Asian. I've got one right here. <laughs> you, know? you should tell my mom yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> and then you, the individual who got scanned, got paid the one time, but then I don't have to pay anyone else ever again. Right. Um, 
and and so the actors are like, well, that's not cool at all. Uh, you know, there are 160,000 people in that union, mo- most of whom are, you know, just showing up on set every once in a while and um, having uh, like a side income. That so that that's something that we can see very clearly. But there's there's a bunch of other stuff uh, coming down the pike that's gonna steal up and take people by surprise. I didn't see ChatGPT developing this quickly when I was running for president, even a few years ago. And folks like Tristan Harris, who keep up with this, say they literally have to update their data every day on what the heck AI is doing. It's not like you could turn away for two months and come back and it's the same. It's literally like, oh, whoop, changed again. So uh, you know who's not changing again just like that? Us. <laughs> you know, you know, like, <laughs> maybe the next day, pretty much the same, you know, and maybe a little... Uh, I mean, not only are we not changing enough, but we have yet to figure out how to deal with social media, let alone AI. I mean, it's like, it feels like it feels like we're we're studying for for a test in the eighth grade and the tenth grade AP test is about to come up around the corner and we've yet to even open that book. And totally. and it seems like nobody actually has the incentive to solve the challenge. It almost in some ways, and this might feel a little conspiratorial, but those of us that are outside of the political scene and only looking in sometimes feel like those in power are actually okay with things being bad because it makes politics much easier. Like, I feel like if I was the DNC or the RNC, this is exactly the situation I would want. It's just, it's red versus blue. It's easy. Yeah, you, that, that, that's one of the perverse aspects of today, Manu, where, where um, if things deteriorate, it actually uh, is probably fine for you in the sense that it's like, oh, I can get you more animated uh, and upset. I mean, right now, um, their small dollar donations are down cycle over cycle by 25% or so. Right. Uh, and they're just like, oh, what are we going to do? And you, you, I mean, the truth of it is that we're all burnt out. You know, we've all gotten the freaked out emails over and over again. At this point, we're like, oh, my gosh, right? like the 300th freaked out email, like I'm not going to hit the donate button as fast. And they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? <laughs> it's like, um, by the way, in, in this case, too, it you know may not be the worst thing in the world because it's affecting both sides. So. You know, it's pretty much canceled each other out, and that the you know, like Americans might um, might be looking for another uh, path path forward. But yeah, the powers that be don't hate this stuff. Uh, and the unfortunate truth is that good policy is probably negatively related to your job security. Where if a bunch That's of people came forward and said, "Hey, here are a bunch of AI regs," there are probably some big time tech companies that are like, "Ooh, I didn't like that." Uh, and meanwhile, if they just grandstand and like say things then uh, everyone is fine uh to you know let the problem fester because the real players uh are like okay good they're 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 being cool like uh, you know and, and we can handle them saying things about us we just don't want them to genuinely regulate us so amidst all of this where you know people's paychecks are online people's job security is online there's real policy issues you know people let's say uh on, on the side of thinking that climate change is a real threat, see the fires in Hawaii, and they want to get out there. Somebody that's a conservative sees the woke culture war issues being rammed down their throat, and they're like, this is insane. we got to fight this. What is the fundamental argument from your standpoint? And I have, a, I have a take on this, but I'm curious about yours because you've pressure tested in front of so many people. What is your fundamental take on how you break through that noise to actually make people think about the system as opposed to that really unfortunate you know, disaster event in that certain state or that really unfortunate job loss that's about to come around the corner. And you say, hey, we need to vote for the person that's voting to ensure that primaries and gerrymandering are not a thing, you know, in the way that they are in the status quo. 
Yeah, I, I try and explain to them, look, right now the incentives are working against us. The incentives are working against good policy. And if we don't change the incentives, we're just going to keep uh, grinding ourselves uh, into oblivion. So let's try and fix the incentives. And the way to fix the incentives are getting rid of primaries and moving towards all-party ranked choice voting like they did in Alaska, like they just voted in in Nevada. And it's going to be on the ballot again in Nevada. Uh, that there's a, a race going on right now around modernizing the system and the system crumbling before our eyes. Uh, now, which do I think is going to win? I mean, I'm fighting like mad for the first one. Uh, and there are things that people can do. One of the exciting things, Manu, and one of the reasons why I'm so pumped to talk to you is I say to people all the time, it's like, what, what percentage of Americans would you get need to get into something like forward, uh, and energized for us to change everything? Say 5%, 10 <laughs> That's exactly right. You know, I'd... you don't need 51%. You get 5% of Americans really zeroed in on the fight. It's like, okay, we're being set up. Yep. Um, you know, it's a we have a... you need a foothold in the population. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, you know, you have a 20% approval rating of U.S. Congress and then a 94% reelect rate uh, of incumbents. It's like, look, it, we're being set up. We're getting carved into blue and red zones, and they're just patting us on the head and saying there's absolutely nothing you can do. So if 5% of us stand up and say, okay, I get the game now, and I'm going to shake it up so that you have to listen to the general population instead of just your cronies and the special interests and the ideological edge, um, that's where we're going, and we will vote for people that represent that. You get 5% of Americans into it. We change everything. Uh, certainly want to make common cause with you and Bridge USA at every turn, uh, and really pumped to be able to share this journey with you, uh, and uh, love the fact that um, you've gone so far from that college event till now, where most people would have at some point said, you know what, it's med school time or it's J-O-B time or whatever the heck. And not that you don't have a job, you have a very big job. You have the kind of job where if you and I do our jobs, then uh, we might be able to unlock the solutions to the truly important problems of this time. Uh, and without us getting this stuff under control, uh, the biggest problems will get worse. I mean, as, as, your, as your friend Dave Chappelle says, it takes one to know one. And What's what's super powerful about this work right now is, I mean, I would not be here without my best friends. You know, uh, Ross, who co-found, who you met um, two or three weeks ago, lives Good in man. the other room. You know, we we have a family behind this, and I think, as you know, and and this is forget politics for a second. I mean, to build anything, of course, there's purpose required, there's ambition required, but ultimately, it's the people, right? And um, I think I, I, I don't know if you get asked this question a lot when you're in campuses, but oftentimes when I'm on campuses, people ask me all the time, especially younger people, like, what's the secret to building something? How do you respond to apathy? How do you respond to burnout? And the fact is, most successful people are burnt out. Oftentimes, there is a lot of apathy. Like, I, I learned this from you. It's like, Actually, like the people that you see on TV. <laughs> you are... <laughs> Sorry, continue, Manu. <laughs> yes, yes. For the record, I learned that successful people are apathetic. From... <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, no, but it's 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 the truth. Is all of us struggle? All of us struggle. The question is, what do you do about it? You know, um, and and you can either. Like in some ways, I think the biggest threat to democracy is not even like blatant authoritarianism from wherever side you think it's coming from, but literal just apathy, just disengagement. Oh, someone asked me a number of months ago, what do you think is going to happen? And I answered without thinking at all. I said, 
we're going to slump our way into authoritarianism. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that, that, that's that's the trajectory. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 because you're ceding the battle space. You're ceding the battle space to those voices. Okay, I got to ask you a vexing question because it's coming to my mind right now. I can hear somebody that's listening to this say, you know, ask this question. I got to ask you this question, which is how do you respond to the claim that when you build that 5% of the population, right, when you engage that 5% within something like the forward party, that it facilitates the, it, it accidentally backfires and causes, you know, the rise of President Trump, or it accidentally backfires and causes the rise of the Democratic candidate to win. Um, how, how do you think about that? Well, if we activate the 5% in the way that we envision, um, you could wind up with one, two or three U.S. senators who are stand there and say, you know what, guys, like, like, let, let's do what most Americans want. Congress mm-hmm. is harder. You might need 10 to 12 members. And in this system, that's very, very hard. Um, but one, two or three U.S. senators is doable. Hundreds of mayors around the country is very doable. Uh, thousands of locally elected officials, including state reps, uh, is very doable. And keep an eye on the forward party for announcements on that front. So the the forward party, we're shooting for 500 aligned elected officials by next year. And that's significant. Um, and, and, and what does it mean for them to be aligned? Um, so in some cases, it's like, look, I'm a forward party member. And that's what I am. I'm a forwardist. Um, so that that's a, you know, let's call him Mayor Jordan Marlowe in Newberry, Florida. That's his jam. He's like, I'm a forward party member that that's my party affiliation. And then there are others who are Democrats or Republicans or nonpartisan who say I'm I'm affiliated with the forward party, which means I'm down with nonpartisan primaries and ranked choice voting and just trying to get stuff done. And I, I want freedom from the ideological conflict and back and forth. So you get 500 elected officials, you reflect that, then that's a genuine independent political movement. And we're probably going to get there in the next 10, 12 months, uh, which means it would have taken two years. So I'm super proud um, of that. And uh, I think we can go nationwide, like we can impact national politics as soon as 2024. We're going to try and rally independent swing voters in the swing states. So that's Nevada, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania. Uh, Georgia, Michigan, uh, North Carolina, uh, and say, look, guys, let's go for whichever major party actually wants to reform the system. And that's something we can do that can hopefully move us in a positive direction next year. So people who look at this and say, oh, you're going to screw it up somehow, be like, well, like, by, on the facts, in all of these 500,000 elected races around the country, 75% of them are uncontested or uncompetitive. So there's not much screwing up going on. Um, the only thing people are concerned about at that level is the presidential, and we're not participating in the presidential. So if you want to be concerned about the spoiler, there are other folks you can go talk to, not us. If you want to have uh, the mayor of Fort Collins be someone who just answers to you, by the way, she joined the Ford party. So, uh, you know, that's specific. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, wear your jam. If you want sensible school, school board members or county executives like that, that's us. If you want people who uh, are trying to free people from like this, uh, you know, lose, lose, pass the baton back and forth while the house burns. Uh, you know, that's us. Uh, and, and one of the things, I mean, I, I said this in the San Francisco event and you joke about this, but like people, um, you know, because of like press, uh, confusion and, um, frankly, like just false, uh, assertions like, oh, you're going to, you know, help Trump win. And I'm just like, look, you guys are doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Like, you mean, you set up a system where I like, I'm going to be here trying to keep Trump from winning. Like I have absolutely nothing to do with it. Like you guys are serving the, you guys are slumping us toward, toward authoritarianism 
And folks like me and Manu are trying to energize people to think for themselves and free us from a system that is going to end up in a very dark place, probably in the not so distant future, unless something changes. And and I think it's not only that just you uh, that something changes, because I think it, to an extent that change is not only necessary, but it's it, it shakes up the system. But the number one sentiment, again, that I hear on the road is people just saying, well, all is lost. But the fact is that, I mean, the United States in 2026, Andrew, is going to be 250 years old. But that's not actually old. In the state of human history, I mean, 250 years is a snapshot. And while it might be the oldest democracy, I mean, when you think about empires, you think about nation states, I think people need to recognize that it is within their power to actually do something about it. I think we have to. And this is something that I think when we think about this being a foundational founding moment, 1776 moment, you think about 1939 moment, you think about uh, a 2001 moment. I mean, we need to deliver a vision where people actually feel like they have a sense of purpose and optimism and making a difference. Because right now people think that you do something, nothing makes a difference. Yeah, no, they, they, they have caught on really. Um, you know, it's like when young people say my vote doesn't matter, guess what? You're probably right. Uh, like it, it's probably the case your vote does not matter. Uh, you know, I could tell by based on where you live, whether it matters or not. Um, so, so what type of action should they take? So, so, and so really it's like, so let's make it matter. Let's make it matter, not by playing their game, but by saying, let's change the game. Uh, let, let's build a positive political movement that you can be a major part of and help guide real policy conversations at the local level and eventually the national level uh, that isn't beholden to special interests, uh, that wants things like, uh, I mean, I'll say what I want, like term limits that would enable young people like you to actually have power, um, you know, as opposed to just watching other people fuck the country up. <laughs> it's, uh, like, you see Diane Feinstein's 90 and I, yeah, I mean, it, it's painful, stories. you know, and there was a time when she was an awesome, vibrant yeah, public servant, but you know, like at, at some point you, you should say, Hey, it's time for the next generation to lead. Uh, one of the things I, I can say is that if I'm still trying to uh, like, uh, cling to the stage, uh, past a certain age, someone just fucking grab a hook and like yank me off. And they can just play this clip. Be like, Yang, you said you get the fuck off if you were, you know, doddering. I'd be like, oh yeah, you're right. I am doddering. Get me the yeah. fuck off. So uh <laughs> you, you need to create a sustainability plan for the Yang gang. <laughs> um uh there'll be an AI me just doing his thing. So well we but you're totally right that there's a lot of like, ah, it doesn't matter, like my vote doesn't matter. Uh, and the darkest thing that just occurred to me just now, it's like I don't matter. Um yeah. uh, and and we Which have is to say, I think by the way, the deeper problem. Yeah, that is the deeper problem. Yeah. But to say, look, you matter a whole heck of a lot. I love you. Your country should love you. Like, but, And what we need is a genuine, popular, positive political movement to throw the yoke off of us and say, why are we letting our country go to hell in a handbasket when we can do something about it? Let's, let, let's elect people that actually answer to us. And by the way, what I'm suggesting is like, that's not going to happen in the current system. There is, by the way, a Princeton study, there is no relationship between what Americans want and the policy we get. No relationship. <laughs> that was actually a, a, a study. Um, so right now, our will is getting completely distorted and diluted through this funhouse mirror system, uh, this two-party system, the primary system, the blue-red system, the 90% uncompetitive district system. Right. Um, and we need to shake that up to have a real say, to have a real chance. Is it easy? No. Is it fast? No. Is it the only way out? Yes. And Manu, when you talk about me and my journey 
in many ways, when I came off the presidential trail, I had to reckon with the facts like, look, like a lot of people got behind me and supported me and believed me. And I, I really appreciate it. I loved them, loved them for it. I mean, it, it helped make what could have been like a devastatingly bad journey into a positive journey. So I'm like really, really grateful. Um, and I owed them an, an answer. I owed them a path. Mm -hmm. And I said, look, according to my best analysis, <laughs> the best expert I could, I could find, this is the path. And then now I'm here building the path and super grateful for anyone who wants to help. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't say this more about you, which is that for anybody, regardless of the politics, regardless of how you approach the work, I mean, the fact is that in the most ambitious experiment in the history of democracy, you need incredibly ambitious people. And who cares about people that are just pushing the current system when you have to think about invention? I mean, Thomas Jefferson, Andrew, I just... Um, this is part of our like board reading. And, and I was reading this. Is he talked about a revolution every 20 years. Now, I'm not saying that that's what we're what we need. But the, the innovation is the engine of democracy. Like push people forward. You yeah, see what I, did there? I mean, hey, it's did not you... every 20 years. I mean, at least every 200 years, we should probably do something different. <laughs> a little bit different. <laughs> 250. Uh, and by 250. the way, in Thomas Jefferson's time, too, you know what they were not talking about? Democrats and Republicans totally made up afterwards right. i mean during the founding fathers there were like parties bad george yep. washington famously on the way out parties bad john adams two parties would be a great evil across the land parties bad thomas jefferson i mean thomas jefferson kind of dilly-dallied with the parties a little more but <laughs> yeah. yeah he was a little bit more um, party guy but 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 then this two-party system got completely fabricated and installed at the state level it's not a word about the constitution not a word about it really the federal level it's just everyone kind of put it in place as a giant control mechanism. And then they had two uh, parties just like trading. You, you get it. I get it. You get it. I get it until eventually they ended up migrating into this polarized mess. We, we have where now tensions are rising and rising and it's like a pressure cooker and there's no release valve. Um, the only release valve we have in the system, by the way, where none of our votes matter um, is the presidential. And that's how you end up with a fucker like Donald Trump winning. You know, it's like um, a bunch of Americans be like, yeah, fuck it. It's like the, the only thing I'm given in this system is a big middle finger. So I guess that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, and then we didn't even learn our lesson. Anyway, don't get me started. Because you know how we ended up losing to Trump a number of things. But part of it was that the DNC freaking shoehorned Hillary Clinton and said, this is our candidate. Going to take this thing. Uh, you know, I think Bernie beats Trump. And then uh, we're going to do it again. We're going to do it again. That well, way. that's that's a that's a big can of worms. You just had to open at the end of the podcast. But I have to ask you, does why it, you and I talked to a lot of people that voted for Joe Biden, and a lot of people that voted for Donald Trump. And it seems like at this moment, there are legitimate grievances that that people that voted for Trump have. And there seem to be legitimate grievances that people that voted for Biden have. How do you deal with this like moment of of not trying to create false equivalent. How do you tackle that question of false equivalencies of the moral? I've got the real you know answer, I mean? Manu. The only thing yeah. that would work in American life is um, we give whoever loses this election a replica of the White House and a four-year contract to go to that replica and act like the president and just freaking beam it out to their people. And then everyone will be happy. <laughs> Did have you let Mark Zuckerberg know that could be an AR world that he could build? <laughs> totally just like that that that's really the answer. Just like give them both what they want and then everyone's like, yeah. Then their their perception of the economy will be better. Their perception of uh you know what's going on around them will be better. I'll be like, yeah. It's all about that, perceptions. That, that's, that that's really where we are in American life. It's all about perception. Hey, hey, I got I got one last question on my side. 
And I actually asked you this a while ago, and I'm curious to see if your answers changed on this, which is that um, I often find myself having built and done this work with like some of my best friends that sometimes like it really does suck, right? Sometimes like you just do not have any energy to go. You, you're just exhausted. You also feel like, what's the point? There's feelings of existentialism, all of that sort of stuff, right? And what is your why? Like what, what, what keeps you, what's your why? Like what, why do you I, do what I, you do? I got to say, Manu, I have the most privileged version of this thing. Cause like I was a do-gooder. You're a do-gooder. I love you for it. You and I know do-gooders. I have the best fucking version of this journey that anyone can imagine. Cause like I go out on the street and someone will just say to me, it'll be like, Hey, Yang thumbs up. Like, you know, like I get that shit every single day. More than that. I get people coming to me and being like, Oh, Thank you. Like you got me interested in politics. Thank you. You made more sense than anyone. Thank you. Stick with it. I get that every single day. Oh, I get that every single day. I go out in public looking like myself, I should say. I don't get that every single day. <laughs> but but if I go to the store or the airport in a particular given day, I will get that. Uh and that's fucking amazing. You know, LA um people are telling me they want me to keep doing stuff, and I'll keep doing it as long as people want me to. Um if there comes a day when everyone's like, okay, Yang, like, you know, go home, you're 80, whatever. I'll be like, all right, cool. And the way I'm built, I'll actually, frankly, enjoy going home because <laughs> like that, that's because, you know, I, I happen yeah. to like, uh, you know, I mean, Netflix. that's what you and I talked about is, is we're not driven by power. We're driven by desire to actually do good. And once the time is up, time's up. Oh yeah. I would love to work myself out of a job, please. America. Please help work me and Manu out of our current jobs. Um, on that note, Manu, how can someone uh, support you and your work at Bridge USA? BridgeUSA.org. Hundred percent. I appreciate that. You know, if you're if you're the parent of a college age student or a high school age student, BridgeUSA.org. We got you covered. We're building the largest and fastest growing movement of young people that are ready to change how our politics look for the 21st century. I mean, it's ready. If you're a college student, you're a high school student. You feel like the college Democrats, the college Republicans don't matter if you're a STEM student, if you're a business person. The fact is that every facet of our life, Andrew, I mean, you and I talk about this all the time, is experiencing a deep dysfunction and breakdown in our ability to communicate. And that's what Bridge is doing. We're building these chapters. We're empowering these folks. And alongside leaders and organizations like yourselves and leaders that are adjacent to us. I mean, you and I talk about we have real Democrats. We have real Republicans. We have real ideologically driven people in this work because this is not a fight between left, right. This is a fight between temperaments, a fight between mindset. It's a fight between whether we high and live low in world. is the way Tim Irwin would put it. It's high and low. It's trying to elevate things. I agree. It's it's between the high brain and the in the low brain. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's let's elevate people's uh, brain functioning. You, are you all a nonprofit? We're a nonprofit. We're five hundred one c three. Oh my gosh! It's the kind of organization that everyone loves to give to because there's oh my god tax break. You can tell your employer to match it. It's bridgeusa.org, people. How wholesome <laughs> is this? Look at Manu. Help keep his parents happy and off his back. Bridgeusa.org. I will see you on the trail, my friend. Edit a campus. Let, let's get me to a campus ASAP. Oh, we'll get you to a campus. We already got some requests in. So we're going to get you to campus and appreciate you, Grace, and our guests in the hopeful majority. Yes. Stay hopeful, majority. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that was a fascinating conversation with Andrew. Thank you so much for joining him and I. Remember that this conversation is also on the Forward podcast with Andrew because it's a crossover episode. And look, I I really appreciate, I have to say, I really appreciate his authenticity and his honesty. Um, 
it's something that was quite evident throughout this conversation. And my reflection on this has not much to do with the content. Just, yeah, I'm going to go there in a quick second. But there's very few political leaders I've met over the last six, seven years that are just honest with their thinking. Now, you might disagree with their thinking. You might critique it deeply. Or you might really strongly agree with it. But the fact is that today we live in a world in which politicians are incentivized, leaders are incentivized to posture. We live in a side dominated by social media, by judgment, by social credibility, where we're acting to please, we're acting to show. And I've always appreciated his authenticity. And I think it showed in this conversation because we went to various parts of the conversations. We had a, a discussion on is third party a potential risk to democracy? Does Is a third party even possible? We also had conversations about gerrymandering, about partisan politics. Here's my big takeaway, substantive big takeaway, and then we'll wrap this up. My substantive big takeaway from this conversation is that Andrew comes at our politics from a perspective of systems change. In other words, title of the show, potentially, we'll see. It's the system, stupid. You know what I mean? You know, James Carville, it's the economy, stupid. It's the system, stupid. I think so much of his analysis of our current moment, as you noticed, was defined not by ideology left, right, not by thinking through Donald Trump or Joe Biden. It was very much defined by the incentives in our system. The fact that at three different levels, we've talked about this. You go to episode five, episode six, we talked about the incentives in our politics and how those incentives point to dividing rather than uniting, how those incentives point to not solving our problems, but actually in some cases exacerbating our problems. Because people in power, it's very easy to live in a system where everybody's fighting each other, left, right, two-sided battle. You rile people up around fear and then you motivate them every four years. It's an easy recipe and we're being played. So what was interesting about this conversation was three levels at where systems reform, Andrew specifically focused on. First is at the party level, disrupting the two-party system. Second is at the voting level, the fact that our politicians today are incentivized to run to the extremes, right? In most primaries, the Democratic primary, Republican primary, you'll notice that people not in the hopeful majority are winning, people not with our temperament. Again, we might have very strong ideologies, but we want people in power that are open-minded, that are curious, that are not prisoners of our ideologies, but they're prisoners of wanting to solve problems. That's what we want. That's what our goal is. So his focus on primary change in terms of ranked choice voting is meant to drive politicians to not cater to the extremes, but cater to what I call the temperamental middle, what we in the hopeful majority call the temperamental moderates. Again, not ideological moderates. You and I have very strong beliefs. We're not ideological moderates, but you and I have a moderate temperament, a temperament defined by passion, but also a desire to listen to each other, to reconcile each other's common humanity. Because if we're going to live in a system, as Andrew and I talked about, 250 years old, I say 250 years young, one of the most ambitious, if not the most ambitious democratic experiments in the history of humanity with 330 million people that are all different than themselves, of course. There's going to be challenge, but it's about how we live with each other. And the third level of reform that he was focused on and that I've been focused on with Bridge USA in my day job, work with some of my best friends, is how do we engender a cultural revolution in the country where people see each other for who we are, which is humans trying to be better, trying to solve our challenges, wanting to live in a country where kids do better than ourselves. How do we see past our differences, not to paper over those differences, no, not at all, but to recognize that there's a reason why somebody that you disagree with believes what they believe. And that's not in some kumbaya spirit, but that's meant 
for us to be able to solve our deepest challenges. Because if you and I care about each other, you and I understand each other at the personal level, even if you and I vociferously disagree on our politics, well, we can get somewhere. And that's the reform we need. We need we need a system in which people feel like we're people. We're here for each other. How do you have a democracy if we don't feel indebted to each other? What else is there to live for? Because if we don't care for our neighbors, if we don't care for our society, if we don't care for our families, then why have a system in our politics where we're betting on the individuality and the strength of our human spirits? And that's the essence of the hopeful majority. I hope you enjoy that conversation with Andrew Yang. And importantly, if you had pushback, if you had feedback, if you want me to ask certain questions, you know where to contact us. You go to hopefulmajority.com. You also find me on Instagram, on Twitter. DM me. I want to get better. We want to improve because remember, we've got a hopeful majority to build every week. YouTube, Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your content. Every Monday, we drop an episode, drop a conversation. We'll have many more of these conversations with high-level political leaders, societal leaders, technological leaders, business leaders, you name it. We're going to have them here because the hopeful majority is going to be a forum to push our politics and our society forward. Because remember, we're fighting outrage, building nuance. I'll see you next week.